Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. I told you not to put metal in the science show. What did you do that for? Don't make such a big deal. Just get another one. I don't want another one. I want the one that Carmine gave me. Oh, Carmine. I want the one that Carmine gave me. Carmine, Carmine. Why don't you just marry Carmine? Get a little gold microwave and put it on a chain around your neck. You want to be more like Carmine? Why don't you build something like he does? Instead of all your empty deals. It's just like your freaking science oven. You know, I read that it takes all of the nutrition out of our food. Empty, just like your deals. Empty, empty. It's not bullshit. I read it in an article. Look, I, Paul Verdure, bring something into this house that's gonna take all the nutrition out of our food and then light our house on fire. Thank God for me. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello, my name is Alex, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, Tulio, and making his triumphant return to The Contrarians podcast, uh, albeit a bit of a different nature. Um, he's not sitting right next to us, but literally on the other side of this marvelous planet, uh, we do have Chaz Fisher back once again. Chaz, welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, I am not jet-lagged and drunk, unlike last time, so there might be a different vibe to this particular recording. I'll take it. And Julio, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing okay. I think that the only thing that made it a little easier to get through this movie was knowing that Chaz was waiting at the end. And was it was like, the light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, we got through the American hustle so you could get to the Australian yeah. hustle. <laughs> well played. I'm genuinely scared because <laughs> watching a movie deliberately looking for what's wrong with it can really change how you feel about a movie. Oh, now you know you now you know our pain. That's, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> a lot. I mean, there's a lot of movies that we've watched that we like and that we had to find flaws on, mm-hmm. and and sometimes they actually became real flaws that we hadn't noticed. It's a bit different than your last time here, Chaz. It's uh, with uh, uh, 
was a good day to die hard. You know, there's a lot that's glaringly wrong with that. You don't have to search too hard. I mean, not to say that there's not a lot that's glaringly bad with American Hustle. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, how is this different from a good day to die hard? <laughs> uh, okay, well, you know, obviously with the seven name drops we've had already, we are here uh, to watch and talk about American Hustle. Uh, what episode number is this, Julio? This will be 53. Okay. So we're coming fresh off the heels of Sing Street. Well, we are. We but, are. But our listeners will be coming fresh off the heels of Righteous Kill, which we haven't recorded yet. Okay, yeah. We're we're all jumbled here. Um, it's because Australia is you know, several hours into the future, mm-hmm. so therefore it also affected our timeline. That's right. It's Sunday there, so it's Saturday <laughs> here. Um, but yes, American Hustle. We've talked about this since the podcast began. Um, it's, it's been a long, arduous road. I did, I did as long as I could a job of putting it off, but you know, the the stars aligned. (laughs) So we are here today. Um, but the Christmas release 2013, uh, 93%. So let's just go ahead and kick it off. Julio. What what were the critics saying about this? All right. So we have, we have a few gems here, uh, from the fresh camp. Uh, Brad Keefe from Columbus Alive says David O. Russell's 70s caper nearly out Scorsese's Scorsese. Good God. Rollicking fun stuffed <laughs> into 70s wrapping paper. Mm-hmm. You cannot out Scorsese Scorsese. Even if I like this movie, that review would make me angry. Mm-hmm. That's just. I annoying. believe that I may have said something like that on Twitter and then got into an argument with someone on Twitter who. I sincerely hope he doesn't remember it because it turns out it was Jordan Horowitz before I had any idea who Jordan Horowitz was. (laughs) Um, I'm like, no, you're wrong, Academy Award almost winning producer. Well, I hope he blocked you. Uh, David Keyes from cinemaphile.org says, To call the end result an absolute triumph would undercut more apropos labels. It seeks to be one of the best films of the year and transcends that goal. We have not forgotten no. <laughs> the other movies of that year, <laughs> so no. Uh, Margaret Pomeranz from At The Movies Australia says, mm-hmm. Look, I think this is a fabulous film. Short, to the point, and at least, At least kept it sweet and didn't insult Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. uh, Did she Lynn. say short? Yeah, she said short. <laughs> oh, no, I said okay, short. Look, I, I... <laughs> no, it, it, putting the, aside my stuff about this, you cannot call that movie short. <laughs> yeah, no, the the quote was short. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Stacy Lane Wilson from She Knows Network says, "This is one you'll want to hustle to see on the big screen." Well, she knows. <laughs> she knows, and you know, first pun of the night. Uh, Matthew Pekjovic from Matt's Movie Reviews says that American Hustle is set in the 70s is the perfect coincidence, for it is a movie that would have fit right into the new Hollywood of that era, where directors were king, actors went beyond the pale, and stories had balls. Eek. Uh, balls. Jules Brenner from Cinema Signals mm-hmm. says, for a good time, come see this adorable, sexy, deviously antic piece of cockeyed comedy. Adorable. Comedy. <laughs> Uh, and she ends, or he ends, with you won nominations. Uh, well, we got them. well plenty of those. Uh, we got two left. Uh, Joe Newmayer from New York Daily News says it turns out that comeovers, cleavage, cocaine, and cookiness are an unbeatable combo. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hard to argue with that. Yeah, uh, Liam Lacey from Globe and Mail. Closes us off with, save your admiration for the performances, especially Lawrence, who is now Hollywood's most important presence in front of the camera. Ugh. 
We'll get to we'll get to Jennifer Lawrence. I was gonna say yes. At this point in time, she was poised to take over the world, but this movie did her no favors in the Alex Mattis book of reason. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, wasn't she nominated for an Oscar? Uh, <laughs> she, yeah, was. she was nominated for about everything under the sun for this. Yeah, but we'll we'll get to all that. Um, so we are in 1978, New York. Uh, Christian Bale, uh, Irving, uh, our main character. W- would it be fair to call him the main character? Um, you know, I kind of struggle with that, and and we'll talk about this, I think, more in real talk. But let's say that he's the main character. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Chaz, kick us off here with this opening scene. You know, we waste at least three minutes of time with Christian Bale just doing his hair. I mean, what the fuck? Yes, it's hot. and Christian Bale, who's just let himself go. I mean, the, the guy is supposed to be all method and, you know, machinist, famous for losing weight, and this is not the attractive christian bale that we expect when we sign up to a movie where he is headlining batman begins he is not here uh, no this is uh i think it's supposed to be robert de niro begins this is christian bale <laughs> just doing his robert de niro by way of james gandolfini impression <laughs> and i it just feels so artificial that it's just just like his hair it just takes you out of the movie from the very beginning it's interesting as well because it at no other point in this entire film do we get any static shot like this of a character like in a moment of self-reflection at any point. <laughs> That's not set to live and let die, excuse me. Well, I mean, you did. <laughs> well I, I, I wouldn't call those shots static either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, let's not jump too far ahead, but the only other moment of introspection is that, uh, you know, cocaine-addled shot of uh, Amy Adams peeing and screaming at the same time. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> it's, it's acting with capital A-C-T-I-N-N-G. Exactly. Exclamation mark at the end. So after about approximately 15 to 20 minutes of Christian Bale doing his hair, we go um, introduce to Sydney, uh, Amy Adams. Uh, the whole first scene of this movie introduces us to our main players in the game. Um, what we take away from it, Irving and Sydney are these con artists, um, Early, you're led to believe that Bradley Cooper, uh, Richie, uh, the character, is the mark of this particular situation. Of course, we learn later that that's not to be. Um, we meet Mayor Carmine Polito, played by Jeremy Renner. And the entire opening scene of this is uh, meant to give the impression that it's a uh, business transaction gone awry. But we learn quickly that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I, can't, I can't believe you just skipped over Bradley Cooper's hair. You talk about Christian Bale's hair for 15 minutes and don't mention the perm. Well, I mean, I think that there is there's different levels of bad hair going on in this movie. And and Cooper is just right, right in the middle. You know, you have the Christian Bale outrageous come over. Then you have Bradley Cooper with the curls, which maybe would be worth mentioning if not for the fact that Jeremy Renner has this really weird uh, <laughs> just Johnny Bravo. He is Kanicki from Greece right here. <laughs> yes. So really, uh, unfortunately, Cooper gets lost in the shuffle because he's between two amazing <laughs> hairdos, and his is just kind of the closest to normal hair. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. His hair is the unsung do of this film. Yeah. Uh, and I think we also need to talk about Amy Adams' boobs, which really have a performance of their own throughout this whole film. They absolutely do. Uh, it's one of those things, it's really a lazy crutch to rest on. Anytime the movie's not interesting, which is a large portion of it, 
boom, Amy Adams' boobs right there. Just you know, just to make sure you're paying attention. Not just Amy Adams' boobs, it's just Amy Adams' body in general. This this movie male gazes the fuck out of Amy Adams. It, it does, and to the point where you know, getting a little bit down the rabbit hole here, I was really starting to get an uncomfortable. Um, David Russell has a foot fetish because there's a lot of shots of her feet. <laughs> well, there's a lot of talk of like from the feet up. So <laughs> I think he's trying to justify it. I, I was yeah. amazed upon the second viewing that from the feet up was not the goddamn tagline of this film. <laughs> well, it, from the feet up is probably the most obvious of many nonsensical lines in this movie that are just repeated over and over again. I do like that at one point. One character, I think it's Stoddard, Louis C.K.'s character, actually asks what that means, and no one answers him. Gets no answers whatsoever. The cruel irony of Louis C.K. being the one that has questions, whereas we're all left with questions for Louis C.K. <laughs> the, the, the irony of Louis C.K. being, like, the moral center of this movie. <laughs> uh, so this all leads, like I said, it, it, appear, it gives the appearance of a business deal gone awry, uh, but this just segues into our backstory of Irving and Sydney. They're meeting at a party, their forbidden love affair. Um, I have on my notes here, white trash pretty woman, because there's the scene in the dry cleaner where he's just like, you know, anything's yours, but it's all just shit people have left behind. And it's given this romantic motif. It's uh, it's a bit off-putting. Yeah, and their, their like romantic moment is them standing in between swirling piles of clean laundry which is not kind of my idea of sexy beautiful loving times right but there's also nothing sexy about christian bale to begin with that's <laughs> you know like his big hero shot in this early sequence is where he's just like sitting down his he's got gut, those tennis shorts on right his gut sticking mm -hmm. out and it's like we get it you gain weight for the role you need mm -hmm. to calm down now <laughs> it's there's also you know through this whole thing is there's the voiceover First mm -hmm. from him, then from her. And then later on, uh, Bradley Cooper's going to join in on the voiceover party, too. But it's just basically, I wish maybe that or Russell, actually Russell, we were talking about how like we call him or Russell. And oh. Yeah, we treat him like he's a freaking uh, Irishman. We're just like, oh, Russell. But it's David O. period Russell. D David Oscar Russell. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yes. I wish Russell hadn't focused so much on on amy adams's legs and actually spent some time just giving us visual storytelling so he wouldn't have to rely so much on voiceover to explain so many things because it really well, just... they, how else were they going to convince us that amy adams was even remotely interested in christian bale that she just has to lie through her teeth in voiceover oh, there was something sexy about that elaborate comb over and that enormous beer belly yeah, and then but the further we get into the movie, it just becomes the Christian Bale show. He's the only one that has voiceovers pretty much for the second and third act of the film. When we would really need the voiceover from Amy Adams to really let us know, you know, what's going on in her head. Does mm -hmm. she really want to have sex with Bradley Cooper? And we didn't get our moment that we should have that this movie was deserving of where uh, Jennifer Lawrence sets the science oven on fire and then the movie just comes to a still frame and, yep, that's me setting the science oven on fire. <laughs> Um, how did I get here <laughs> lots of booze and nail polish apparently mm -hmm. uh, speaking of which uh, Irving is married to Jennifer Lawrence who both in Contrarian's Corner and Real Talk there will be much to say about her in this film uh, she does play the Rosalind character uh, we get the story that Irving married her um, he did fall in love with her uh, but a lot of it rested on her son Danny who he ended up adopting in the end um, from Go she is 
insane and very awful in terms of, um, you know, hateful and knows he's cheating on her, but refuses to get a divorce because no one in her family's ever gotten divorced. Not a character that was written in any way to portray the female gender as a good thing. Yeah, but it also the way that that uh, Jennifer Lawrence performs this part is just. It's almost as if she looked, she read the script, she counted how many pages she had compared to all the other big names that are in the movie, and she has maybe a quarter of the screen time. So she's like, I need to I need to make up for this lack of screen time by doing three times the acting. <laughs> and so every every minute she's on screen, she's like she's not just big, she's like epic. She she's screaming all her lines. It's like she's on stage, like on Broadway. And then she gets a musical number. It's it's like the only acting she had ever seen in preparation of this was Laura Linney at 100%. <laughs> and she's just doing that the entire time. I was going to say the actual film Live and Let Die, where she just decided that the Roger Moore school of acting is the, the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> so the relationship of Irving and, Irving and Sydney is at first just a tawdry love affair, but she catches on to what he's doing. Uh, basically is a loan scam where he just uh, dupes people in, marks, as it were, to loaning money. He takes that money and obviously never gives it back. It, it, basically an investment uh, investment scams. She wants in on it. They become a team. They dupe in uh, Richie, who we had already been introduced to, Richie DeMasso. Uh, B. Coop, Bradley Cooper, plays this. And his second scene in the movie, you get the impression that he's the mark in this situation and giving this money over to them. In fact, he's an FBI agent, and this was all um, the first of many elaborate ruses throughout the film. Yeah, there's a uh, so you have Bale playing De Niro, and you have Amy Adams sexualized, and then here we finally get Bradley Cooper on a full on scene. And really, we've we've taken Bradley Cooper to task several times on this podcast uh, for The Hangover Three, where we're like he was not caring, mm -hmm. and then maybe this is this is just to teach us that this is what happens when Bradley Cooper cares a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> where you know he's just this is he's. He's he's going for an Oscar in this one, and yeah. he decided to turn off the charisma a hundred percent. He's like, I'm just gonna be smarmy and unlikable. <laughs> and you know what? I, you know, I'll admit it. I I didn't care for it. Uh, Bradley Cooper, maybe I just he belongs as the charming uh, slacker. I mm -hmm. don't need him as this uh, competitive, overachieving FBI agent who's an asshole who's yeah. who's just violent and. Turns out, hashtag not my Bradley Cooper. And I, you know, I'm all for some actors to to expand and stretch and surprise me. But I think if American Hustle achieved anything, it was to just teach me that I don't care for a Bradley Cooper that I don't like. If American Hustle strived to achieve anything, it was setting women in film back 20 years. Yeah, I, look, I, as we go through, I think we'll find that that's a fair criticism because there are as you say there's only amy adams and jennifer lawrence as the representative of the female gender in this movie and there is also uh carmine polito's wife dolly who gets would we say half a line in the entire movie uh there's uh, one where she 
this one where she just repeats what uh, Jeremy Renner says, which mm. is "Get out of my house." Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, right, yeah, all right. So you know, so one and she a half. got she got one line. All right, everyone, <laughs> let, let's be fair to to David O. Russell here that that he did give one nice female character one line, which was the repetition of another of her husband's line. So, yeah. Well, also she know, uh, it, she uh, jumping ahead a little bit, she she has that important part of uh, getting nail polished for uh, for Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I was about to say, and oh, also, yeah, we have the whole. How can we forget uh, that secret mission? The gambit of uh, women waiting in line for the bathroom that are all yelling at Bradley Cooper because, you know, women, uh, there's always a line in the women's bathroom. Well, there's also the the telephone uh, woman, like the one that's. Oh, just, the crazy cat lady. The crazy cat lady that's like, <laughs> nobody talks to me. So I, 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 will, I will, you know, aid the FBI on this sort of shady mission just because. Oh, well, shit. I'm, I'm also forgetting. Um, uh, Bradley Coop's mother and fiance. Oh God, yeah, R- right. The mom straight out of like Big Bang Theory, just like Bradley, <laughs> come eat your supper. <laughs> and then, and then the fiance who just doesn't care that he's on the phone denying that he's engaged. Yeah, in that yeah. fucking efficiency that the three of them all live in. Anyway, sorry, jumping ahead through the you know various uh, gender politics of this, but. Where were we in the actual plot? So Bradley Cooper just successfully so, framed them. Well, framed Amy Adams. Yeah, B. Coop, we learn, is an FBI agent. And um, fingers, no sexualized pun intended with that, uh, Amy Adams in the case. Because she takes the check and um, Christian Bale does not. So holds her captive for three days and tries to convince her that, you know, that Christian Bale doesn't care about her. Uh, this all leads to... Finally, we are about an hour into the movie, and we finally get to what the fucking point of it is, is that they are going to use Christian Bale and Amy Adams to set up a sting operation. They want to bring in, they set the number at four, right? Right. He tells him, if you help me catch four big white-collar criminals, then then you guys are free to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, so the, the, I guess the gist of the movie is that Bradley Cooper keeps getting ambitious and more ambitious and he keeps like vader and empire strikes back flying too close to the sun <laughs> he just <laughs> he keeps changing the terms of the agreement mm-hmm. uh and bale is just like lando or like every time he protests he just gets choked <laughs> <laughs> so would that make lucy kate he wouldn't be snoke because he's not encouraging him to do more so no is lucy uh, kate hux uh that that could be a fair comparison yeah, yeah there you go and and amy adams is leia right yeah well, they sexualize her more than they did Carrie Fisher. So, well, it's Leia in the gold bikini in Return. Of yeah, the I was gonna say, <laughs> hey, fair fucks to him. All right. Um, because of this, this causes a big rift with Sydney and uh, Irving. Um, the there's this feeling of distrust, betrayal. You know, who's he? What's it's what have you? She begins, you know, kind of coupling up with Bradley Cooper, the Richie character. Um, not quite as intense as it would become, but you know, she's trying to get closer to him. And I mean, if you couldn't already see the end of this movie coming from here, of course they're going to fucking con Bradley Cooper. Jesus. Well, they, they make an effort repeatedly. They keep telling you that uh, Christian Bale is a genius, Mm -hmm. that he's like a master con man. And it's like, okay, we've seen plenty of con movies. So we know that. It's all a long con. He conned 93% of the voting public on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it is a commentary on David O'Russell. <laughs> really. Where uh, O'Russell is Bale and Bradley Cooper is the Academy. So, Chaz, 
take us through here if you could set it up for us because you know this movie's a bit long-winded uh, that's the nicest way i could put it the chic thing. well I, okay the chic so, so what, what's the plan Bale's- here they're putting together <laughs> so uh bale's attempt at providing these four people and he wants it over as quickly as he can so he tries to do it in one fell swoop so he creates the uh idea of an arab sheik where he gets his friend who was some kind of tradesperson from queens i believe his friend who is not michael pena yeah no not michael pena there's there was two sheiks right um uh yes as you say this does get a bit long-winded and uh bloated in the middle where uh bales uh contacts other grifters are going to do some forgeries of some kind of banking document that were called cds and for a moment i thought they were actually talking about pirating cds before i remembered that cds barely existed when this movie was created uh or set rather and uh it's all going well until unfortunately um bale's contact suggests that the real game is in casinos and as you say bradley cooper's story is a, is a story of ambition where he uh gets hooked in and wants to catch the bigger fish and so thus the shake stops uh, becomes a um a fraudulent source of income for the potential refurbishment of atlantic city and thus we find ourselves back at the beginning of the movie where <laughs> they are trying to set up Carmen Polito, who is the mayor, and God, are we like two hours in by the time we've actually got just to the beginning of the movie? Right. Essentially. And, and that's this is where enter Jeremy Renner officially. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. him at the beginning, but this is where we're introduced to him as the only nice guy apparently in all of Atlantic City. The only guy that doesn't that it's not corrupt and yet somehow he he keeps doing corrupt things. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Throughout all this we are introduced to Louis C.K. uh Stoddard. Uh, the um basically he is B Coop's higher up. Right. He's the immediate boss to Bradley Cooper. And he basically goes over his head to Anthony Amato, who's like the prosecutor <laughs> or whoever Fucking Tommy Wiseau level acting from this dude here. <laughs> I'm impressed you even remembered the character's name. I was just like oh, the okay. guy with the desk. Yeah, to be fair, Chaz, I got the Wikipedia right here, baby. So uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't remember. I wouldn't remember the name of the character, but I will remember the acting at some point because the first time that he actually says a line, mm-hmm. we're like three hours into the movie, and yet it <laughs> caught my attention because I was like, "What the fuck? Did they just grab a guy off the street and just say, please say this?" Because I don't know, somebody called in <laughs> that day. So yeah, He's like hi Christian. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, through that, Louis C.K. An unfortunate turn of events kind of becomes the sympathetic character in this particular <laughs> uh, scenario. Um, it is unfortunate, really, because I I was I remember when I watched American Hustle in theaters, I was really excited to see him, mm-hmm. and now the first thing I noticed, and I told you when we were watching, I was like. You notice how they're not showing, like, they're shooting him from the waist up. He's probably not wearing pants. <laughs> he, uh, I remember that, too, because it was, uh, for fans of him and his comedy, that was, like, kind of a big deal, him being in the right. movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like uh, like we all said, Bradley Cooper's way overshooting with this, and their first mark is Carmine. And, yes, took us all that time, you know, Reindeer Games-esque. We start with the beginning, and we come back to it. Uh, the end is the beginning is the end, as the Smashing Pumpkins would say. 
And uh, the deal goes awry, but where we catch on here that we didn't see in the beginning is Irving chases Carmine out, you know, tells him, hey, I'm sorry, my friend's an idiot for fucking this up, you know, but it's a really good business deal, so come on in, we'll talk about it. Um, and what this leads to is our budding friendship with Irving and Carmine. Yeah. Carmine, it, excuse me. We're like more than halfway into the movie, and then we get this this uh, just uh, male friendship subplot, mm-hmm. you know, this... Uh, that really, I believe that that could have made an interesting movie on its own if it'd been given time. Here, it's given like it has three beats. I think they meet <laughs> and they figure out that they both know that that uh, Jeremy Renner knows somebody that goes that went to the same school that Christian Bale did. Mm-hmm. You know, which like, there was something about clams in a very offensively broad <laughs> New York accent. Yes, yeah. <laughs> was like it's basically clam chowder yeah, yeah well, like like renner is like where are you and christian was like i'm from brooklyn like bullshit <laughs> i don't buy it. like i'm i'm australian and have no idea about accents particularly american ones but that one that that scene was like did you guys just change accents to be deliberately offensive in a moment? I, I think they were taking a cue from Amy Adams. I was about to say, <laughs> while we're talking about accents here, something I completely forgot, only I would watch this movie one other time. What the fuck is Amy Adams doing <laughs> with weaving in and out of her accent the whole goddamn movie? Right, like the joke is that she puts on a British accent. Edith is her character's right, name, right. or her character's character's name. Right, right. Her, her con woman uh, character is named Edith, and she's British, so she's supposed to be... British in the eyes of Bradley Cooper because Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper only knows her as her con woman, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and yet halfway through the movie, not even halfway, like I'd forgotten that, and I wasn't picking up her British accent. So later on, when she actually reveals to Bradley Cooper that she's not British, I was like, wait, but didn't he know already? <laughs> well, and, yeah, she's just in and out. She's basically Benicio del Toro in every role he's ever had. He'll do his accent when he wants to, and that's about it. You can't tell him otherwise. Now I don't want to like intrude with it with a moment of actual sort of reason and common sense here but this is actually where the movie falls apart because irving convinces carmine to come back and take the case uh they have their politician corrupt caught on camera and the movie doesn't end (laughs) for some reason they go out and go to dinner that he doesn't get arrested uh irving and amy adams aren't let off the hook like why does the movie keep going and they deliberately don't show him taking the case in the hotel room, but say it later, because otherwise everyone else would be going, why isn't the movie over? I'm two hours in. A Russell is just having too good a time with this. <laughs> I'll give you all more money. Just hang around for a while, all right? I, I think Oscar Russell had shot already, like, the second half of the movie. And then, <laughs> and then they got to that part, because this movie feels... And, he, and I, I, he started with fucking Robert De Niro and the Looper prosthetics, and then yes. just built the movie around that. <laughs> yeah, he. Oh, I mean, he's he's on record saying that a lot of this is improvised. I want to say, well, no, yeah, don't worry, <laughs> we noticed. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's uh, he. So it's completely uh, within reason that he because you shoot out of order, and then by the time that he got to the big scene in the hotel where uh, you know uh, Renner is supposed to take the money or whatever. You know, by then he had just forgotten because mm-hmm. what maybe it made sense in the script, but then the way they improvised it in the movie, it doesn't make sense. I know there's a line where uh, so Bale comes back and lets them know that uh, Renner wants to go to dinner with him, but not with with Bradley Cooper because he he doesn't like Bradley Cooper. Yeah, and Bradley Cooper just seems very offended by that. 
and and doesn't catch on what what Chaz is saying, which is like, well, we got him. So yeah. what does it matter? <laughs> we could head credits right here, hour and a half, hour forty five. <laughs> so with Renner, I just quickly pulled up his information. For some reason, I always thought he was not American, but yeah, he was born in California, so he's American. <laughs> this movie is so fake that his American, his natural American accent <laughs> sounds fake. <laughs> well, it's a Californian trying to do a New York accent, so it's just, it's almost kitsch. It's like an SNL skit. <laughs> hey, yous, where's the dry cleaner? <laughs> uh, okay, moving along here. Uh, yeah, like we said, this budding friendship with Irving and Carmine. Um, there's the the science oven. He gets him a, a microwave. Uh, what this is doing is causing a problem internally with Irving's character because uh, Christian Bale's really taking a liking to this guy and feeling bad that he's setting him up for you know disastrous future. Um, running parallel to all this is Richie and Sydney, and they're uh, I just have in my notes shacking up, uh, but. In the same night with the dinner that we were talking about, we get the Saturday Night Fever scene where Bradley Cooper goes out dancing a disco. And um, and as Chaz mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the amazing moment of introspection of Amy Adams uh, on the toilet, just screaming into the, the endless abyss. Uh, she, uh, in in is- some kind of happiness for some reason. Like, I mean, I've had bowel movements that felt that good, but I've never... <laughs> I've never had a number one that's made me scream in ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she has this is this comes right after she kicks Bar- uh, Bradley Cooper out of the bathroom. I was gonna say if we can go you know a few paces back from that talking about this movie and it's what it wants to paint of women. They go into the stall and the first thing she does is bend over and let him hike her dress up and yes. it's just and Jesus then, man. And then he stops because you know then the movie realizes oh well, wait we need to actually like people a little bit you know let's let's get Bradley <laughs> Cooper let's let's have Pump the brakes mm-hmm. uh, because we're not ready for this sort of quasi rape scene <laughs> to happen in, in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to have sex until it's real. Right. That's what she says. Mm-hmm. She repeats like like this movie does. She repeats, uh, I want it to be real or I want this to be fake. I don't want this to be fake. Hang on. I wrote it down. Oh, no I'm more fake shit. fake shit. Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more fake shit. Uh, and then she thinks a real shit. <laughs> 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 but yeah, she she goes like no more fake shit like five times, and then he's like okay, okay. And I was like I was surprised that the voiceover didn't join in. I was like no more fake shit. By the way, guys. <laughs> uh, and then Bradley Cooper comes out and just laughs in the face of all the women that were waiting in line for the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> they just kind of slap him like, oh, you silly Bradley Cooper with curls, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> uh, um, so we get our sheik, the FBI appointed sheik, who is the aforementioned Michael Pena, who I enjoy Michael Pena. Uh, I think he's a great comedic actor and also has some good dramatic chops. So I was excited to see him show up. Goddamn shame he doesn't do fucking anything in this movie. Um, You know, it's one of those things you have something right here. It's basically when you get really, really good food to go and you don't eat it and just leave it, you know. You eat it like three days later. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this probably would have been better if I did something with it right away. Um, but he, he like is... Louis C.K., does inject a, a little bit of voice of reason into this. Like, mm-hmm. you know. The, the name of the whole operation being Abscam and it's like, isn't that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, David O. Russell reveals his own racist attitudes. It's like, what are you UK? You're Mexican. <laughs> yeah, there is, a, I think, uh, the biggest con that David O. Russell, like the devil, pulled on, on the American <laughs> audience was to make them believe that this was a con. Yelling at Lily Tomlin? <laughs> <laughs> that was the warm-up. Okay. <laughs> uh 
Yeah, he. This is billed as a comedy. Like when you look it up on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like it's considered a comedy. It won the like we said the Golden Globe for best musical or comedy. Right. There is very there are very few intentionally funny things about this movie. I mean, we were laughing a lot, but yeah. it was just because <laughs> it was just ridiculous, right? And I think that David or Russell, uh, he knew this. But he knew that it wasn't really funny, so his way around it was just to cast comedians. So Michael Pena yeah. is a funny guy. You know him from comedies, you know? And he's like, I'll just cast him. And just the fact that it's Michael Pena pretending to be somebody from the United Emirates, that's going to be funny, right? Yeah. Louis C.K. being, like, you know, a, a top guy at the FBI, that's going to be funny, right? When he gets the shit beaten out of him, that's going to be hilarious because it's Louis C.K. <laughs> it's very much a comedy in the way that people uh... – label james franco's performance in spring breakers as a comedy it's like no there's really nothing funny about it or the way you and i label tom sizemore and natural born killers as a comedic performance right you're laughing because you're nervous you're yeah. not laughing because this is funny. <laughs> uh during this scene one of the main things that stuck out to me that i did not remember from fucking the first time i saw this this is this scene when christian bale gives the knife to michael pena and explains what he needs to do with it is fucking he watched Christopher Walken's watch scene from Pulp Fiction thirty times in preparation of this because he's got you give it to him, you mean it, you embrace it, look me in the eyes, look, you look me in, he's gonna be damned if some American's gonna get his hands on it. It's just fucking ridiculous. Um, but yeah, this is also uh, where Bradley Cooper's he's trying to nuzzle up to christian bale's character i couldn't his motives are never explained and it never really goes anywhere after this scene yeah this is the only time where he yeah. he's kind of like buddy buddy with him mm -hmm. and uh but he it's like right after he's just being making out with amy adams in front of him yeah and uh so they have this i guess this is what qualifies as a comedic patter in the world of oscar russell uh where you know he's like there's a guy that he has great eyes. He's a, he's a genius. He has great eyes. And then Bale's like, yeah, I have eyes. You know what I saw? I saw you making out with my woman. <laughs> and he's like, well, I thought you guys had broken up. Why are you telling me? I don't know. Why am I telling you? And it just goes back, on, <laughs> back and forth for like five minutes. And that's why this movie is five hours long. Now, in, in uh, screenwriting terms, we've got something that's called hanging a lantern. Um, probably other art forms do it. But it's basically where if you're wanting to do something that doesn't work what you can do is actually draw the audience's attention to the fact that it doesn't work, thus telling them that it's uh, deliberate. So I think what we have here is one entirely, you know, a three hour long hanging the lantern <laughs> on it. Because every single moment is, I'm doing something that doesn't work, but let me draw your attention to how amazingly incredibly it does not work. <laughs> They're like, we know this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and yet it does. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Uh, so we finally, with our chic in the fray, uh, Victor Telegio, who is the, um, you know, the apple of everyone's eye. That, that, apparently, that's the most far-reaching, biggest uh, get they can get at this point. Uh, Victor Telegio, played by Robert De Niro, who, much like Krusty the Clown, I feel, was only on set for about 30 minutes and just said, let's get the shit over with. Um, well, he's, he's unless we miss him in the credit, he's uncredited. Correct. Right? He was like, I will do this, but my name will not be in the credits. <laughs> you, will, you will not put my name on this shit. Um, <laughs> like Tarantino when he tried to get his name off Natural Born Killers. What did um What did David O. Russell have on 
Robert De Niro to get I, him I, to be in this film. I don't know. Like there must well, be something. I think I think Russell just told him, uh, "Listen, I gave you your first Oscar nomination in forever. <laughs> I, I brought you legitimacy." Again, so my you... black magic works two ways, motherfucker. <laughs> you suit up. <laughs> you put those damn glasses on. Uh, but this is a a big business dinner, wheeling dealing type of affair. Um, this is also one of the moments where Jennifer Lawrence shines. Rose Rosalind, uh, you know, she has this intense alcohol issue that's never really addressed in the movie, and she just gets sauced up and goes and starts talking to people from Telegio's party that she's not supposed to, and it, it kind of rushes affairs along. Uh, but in the process of all this, uh, Pete, who is, as you mentioned, uh, Jack Houston, she becomes, you know, oh, so Pete cheek is the, to cheek. The, okay. the mustachioed hair dude man. Oh, that was Jack Houston? Yeah, who okay. looks like any barista ah. in Austin. Um, he, does, he looks a little out of place with that mustache. Uh, well, he looks in mm-hmm. place there, but it's also just that would pass for anyone. Not, like, if you go back and watch some of the Friday the 13th movies from the mid to late 80s, a lot of the campers look like people you can just see on the streets of Austin now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we finally do get the face-to-face meeting with uh, Robert De Niro, Victor Telegio, and they're setting up this big operation, money, big money in and out for the, the casino, the big, you know, the overshooting what Bradley Cooper's trying to establish to bring this thing down from the inside. And I guess, um, you know, we were a bit exhausted seven hours into the movie. Uh, Telegio is kind of the head boss. Is that correct? Yeah, he's, well, he's not even the head boss. He's just someone who runs casinos out of Miami. He's not like the Godfather or anything, but, but he's they treat as far like up it. as this movie goes. Okay. He would be like, in the world of American Hustle, he's like the Paul Sorvino in, uh, in Goodfellas. Right, he'd be like as far high up as you can get. I think. I think unless unless it's I mean we never see it because it doesn't happen. But I imagine if Bradley Cooper had actually got him, would he have tried to keep climbing the ladder? Yeah. He's like, no. Well, let's get the next guy. Let's get Scorsese. <laughs> We're not happy. Well, with Well, I, I think that's how the film definitely plays it. I mean, isn't this genuinely like just the midpoint of the movie? Yeah, I, yeah, scarily. Yeah. This is anyway. this is the first time that things actually get serious, and I'll, I'll give De Niro props because he. I mean, you're talking about hanging a lantern. De Niro is like a giant lantern that suddenly shines on the entirety of the movie at once, and where yeah. he was like, it's like everybody's been playing dress up up till now, and then he shows up, and you actually believe that he's a gangster, <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he just tells him, he tells him, okay, well. We're going to do this, but if this is bullshit, you're all going to die. And then they all freeze. Like, I understand, like, maybe Christian Bale freezing, even though he's a genius, so he's supposed to be, you know, fast on his feet. And uh, maybe Amy Adams freezing because, you know, she's, like, the one woman in the room and she has, you know, she doesn't want to, like, overstep her boundaries. But Bradley Cooper is supposed to be a trained FBI agent. And Mm -hmm. then the guy, Michael Pena, is supposed to be a trained FBI agent. And they're caught completely, (laughs) like, they're frozen. Uh, the nearest starts speaking uh, Arabic, Arabic mm-hmm. to Michael Pena. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> if not for some drunk guy that stumbles into the room, that'll be the end of the movie. Well, yeah, they, they build... would all be dead. Yeah. yeah. And they build all that. And it turns out he does know a few phrases in Arabic that can get him kind of through. But yeah, it's it's like, hi, where's the bathroom? I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. At, at Chaz, as you mentioned, this was 
the general, or excuse me, the literal halfway point of the movie. When we were watching this, Julio threw his pen at his notebook. He goes, Jesus, we still have so much left in this movie. <laughs> right, I knew that Live and Let Die was coming. And I was like, we're not even close to Live and Let Die. No. Um, but yeah, to give you an insight into how much actually happens in the rest of the movie, I'm about 70% done with my notes. So <laughs> the, the rest of this here is... Um, Amy Adams, Sydney, uh, wants to get real, real with Bradley Cooper. She drops her accent and says, you know, my name's not Edith. I'm Sydney from, uh, was she from like Albuquerque, New Mexico or some shit? Um, Christian Bale hides a gun in his dry cleaning office. He opens the safe there and there's nothing in it, but like a couple mad magazines and his pistol. So, you know, uh, he, Bradley Cooper is drunk with power and horniness, I believe, cause he forcefully mm, yeah. you know, is trying to engage in sexual acts with Amy Adams. He's he's confused when she reveals that she's not British. Mm -hmm. And then his solution is like, well, let's have sex and see how we feel about it. (laughs) Yeah. I did love his face. Like as much as, as his perm and his performance here, like everything else in this movie is completely over the top. His facial expression when she drops the accent is gold Yeah, because he's just like, all right, I'm just going to deal with this raging boner I have right now. And then we can talk about this. And, you know, her saying no isn't enough because, you know, she's just a woman. What does she know? And then he keeps going and then she, you know, in the one moment of heroism in the film, breaks a fucking picture of her head and tells him to get the fuck away from her. Right. But that's not enough because still Christian Bale has to come to rescue her. With a gun. With a gun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He does look completely out of place in that fucking suit when he's hoarding that gun at him. Now, and and then... There's a point in the movie which, on rewatch, again, I'm going to get slightly serious here. Amy Adams and uh, Christian Bale sit down and they basically say, We're going to have to con the FBI and everyone else. And I'd forgotten that that scene was in there because I'm like, Aren't you just like giving away the end of the movie right now? <laughs> You're just telling the audience that everything from this point on is Amy Adams and Christian Bale winning, no matter how, what it looks like. Yeah, but it's it's also, I mean, I guess if you want to give Oscar Russell some credit, is that he knew that the movie had become such a mess by now that we might have forgotten that we're watching a con movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh-huh. we we're talking about, like, you know, when you're watching a con movie, you know that the last act is like nothing's going to be what it seems. And then at the very end, it's going to be this big twist that reveals that your protagonist, oh, he knew what he was doing all along. Yeah. And, uh, but by now, we've had so many weird shit happen and so very little conning going on, really, because uh, and that's my thing with the with the Christian Bell character, that they sell him to you as this big con man. But he spends 90 percent of the movie under the boot of Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. just being emasculated over and mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. and over. So I can understand why they felt the need to reassure you. It's like, don't worry about it. We're going to con the FBI at the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's still mm-hmm. it just shows it just highlights the movie's weaknesses. So Richie is wanting to move in on this, and he really wows the prosecutor. We spoke about her motto. Um, and in the process, after assaulting Louis C.K., I was like about the to say, wowing of the prosecutor happens in the hearing where Louis C.K. <laughs> is saying, "This guy, my FBI subordinate, beat the shit out of me with a telephone." So why are we listening to him? Because uh, Louis C.K. wouldn't give him what he wanted, which was an entire floor of some hotel where they could bring all these crooks to... To make it believable. Exactly. And yeah, as Chaz said, Louis C.K. is all sorts of bandaged up here. And and then we get this this woven-in cutbacks of him beating the shit out of him with an old rotary telephone. Um, but you know, this prosecutor is just too wowed, most likely by Bradley Cooper's hair, but also his, 
his gumption and you know what he wants to do with this. So he okay's it. He gives him what's he gives him what he needs, um, and then we get. I would call it a montage, but it's much longer than that. It's these individual <laughs> meetings uh, with uh, congressmen, uh, senator or a senator, excuse me, and then of course uh, Carmen. Carmine. Well, Carmen is, yeah, he's he's the constant there, and he's just basically implicating, without knowing it, he's implicating all these politicians in the FBI investigation, and mm-hmm. they get it. On They're video. trying to get the the fake chic. U.S. citizenship for the purposes of getting right, the gambling yeah, yeah, yeah. license. Oh, that was that was the whole purpose of the Robert De Niro like thing. He doesn't show up yeah. just to like scare them, but also to say that if he's gonna do business with the Sheik, it has to be he has to be an American citizen. Mm-hmm. And so he puts that into play that they they have to uh, use Carmen's contacts to uh, to make Michael Pena a citizen. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and little did they know, Michael Pena is already a citizen. <laughs> yeah, through that meeting with Carmine, they thought they'd implicated uh, Telagio as well. Um, through all this, Christian Bale, Irving is really hurting. It's really troubling to him to see you know someone he befriended in Carmine um, in such imminent danger. So he goes to his home, and he basically just lays it all on the table and lets him know that he wants to help him. Uh, understandably so, Jeremy Renner does not act so favorably. Well, no, no, no. This is you, after. Yeah, you, you've skipped an you, important you just, beat And I understand why, but you, just, you skipped Live and Let Die. Oh, really? I have it backwards here. <laughs> yeah. No, because the, the whole, like, Renner thing happens after Christian Bale says, I got a plan. And uh, and the reason he gets the plan is because of Jennifer Lawrence. Well, Alex, oh, that's what yes, she I'm sorry. Right. So yeah, I have my my notes are a bit flip flopped here. So uh, Rosalind's boyfriend. Alex was just praying for the movie to end at this point. <laughs> Correct. Uh, <laughs> Rosalind and Jack Houston uh, begin, you know, a tawdry affair, um, and she, in a moment of just. You know, only because I'm writing this movie will this work. No one could be this fucking stupid to just tell, you know, someone who works for the opposing person's boss, hey, you know, he's really just setting up to fuck you with the, the FBI. <laughs> 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 you know, you know, don't hurt him too much. Uh, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you guys are exactly right. So when they leave that initial meeting, Carmine and Irving, that's when uh, he gets roughed up, gets the canvas bag put over his head. Right. Which he freaks out about. To me, that's not anywhere near as bad. You can still breathe. It's not <laughs> like it's a fucking plastic grocery bag or anything like that. <laughs> but yes, I, I did skip, you know, the apex of this film. Yeah, but also, you know, it's like, yeah, they put the canvas bag on his head, but they also had guns. So I think the moment that somebody puts a gun on you, that's it. You're not going to get any more scared when they put the bag on your head. Yeah. I'm already freaking out that somebody... We're not all Samuel shoot. Jackson and Pulp Fiction. You know, we can't keep our cool together. Um, but yes, the one thing I remembered most from this movie, and will always remember most... One of the most embarrassing scenes I've ever put to film, or ever seen put to film, excuse me. This was all Mr. O. Russell that put this to film. Uh, Live and Let Die plays while Jennifer Lawrence drunkenly cleans her house and her little child watches in terror as well, she, she sings along. Exactly, she sings along. She performs like it's just—it's not only like bad karaoke. It's like bad karaoke that you use like in a commercial. Like I did not remember at all. I remember her pointing and doing the "No, you did," but I did not remember at all that she had a uh, fucking yellow kitchen gloves on and was like scrubbing down. Because even this, in her moment of vindication, and you know, her, her, the woman's triumph, she still has to be cleaning because she's a woman. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really, dude. I was squirming while we were watching it, and mm-hmm. I've seen this plenty of times because this is one of those clips that I like to send Alex put on his Facebook or something <laughs> when I want to make him mad. <laughs> 
So I've seen it plenty of times before. And, uh, but it was still, it was something about like watching it in the context of the movie, you know, where it, you can tell that there's a build up to this and it's supposed to be, it's, it's, there's a lot of, like I said, acting all in caps with, 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 uh, exclamation marks at the end yeah. all throughout this movie but this one just feels so much worse and uh and you know i think part of it that that part of what bothers me is that i know that a lot of people actually like really like it like i've seen people post that clip the live or let die clip mm -hmm. as as an example of good acting where they're like this is why i love jennifer lawrence i was like because she's not afraid of embarrassing herself <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, she was like shoot drunk and just eh, whatever. <laughs> let's do it. And then she was there at the premiere, like those people that were in the room, and just like, oh god. <laughs> I think it was is that black magic from uh, Oscar Russell again, where yeah. he was like, I got you an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Glove up, babe. It's time to shoot. <laughs> yeah, that must be his deal. Like, if I win you an Oscar nomination, then I can do whatever the hell I want with you in the next movie. Sounds about right. That's that's the trade. Um, and then she got another nomination. So who knows what, what she does enjoy? Because I haven't watched it. Yeah. God. Didn't she get nominated for Joy as well? Isn't she like just eternally on the hook for... Because that's how, that's how Amy Adams could bail from the O'Russell train. She got into a movie where she didn't get Oscar nominated. <laughs> that's the trick. Yeah. That's how you do it. Amy Adams was nominated for The Master though, right? Uh, that is not David O'Russell. <laughs> no, I'm just saying in general. I'm trying to think of her Oscar nominations. Oh, uh, I mean, didn't she, she get won nominated for, for, Steel, the, but... for the Fighter, which was O'Russell as well? Fuck, that was David O. Russell, you're yeah, right. Yeah, God. Uh, she had a... <laughs> Can he, you know... Is it, if I didn't know his middle initial was O, I thought it would stand for a banality or just mediocrity or some shit. Um, all right, yeah. And yes, she was nominated for Joy. What the fuck, man? Come on. All right. Every time she gets a, <laughs> she gets a, a script from David O. Russell, she just starts shaking. She's like, oh, God, what happens now? <laughs> It begins. <laughs> uh, okay, so yes, after this, Irving, you know, goes to Carmine, and uh, oh, I see here where I fucked my notes up. Okay, <laughs> so Irving and Rosalind get into this big fight, and then her insanity. She somehow spins the scenario where she breaks up with him, and he, you know, we learn at this point. About nine hours into the movie that Irving has heart problems. And it's like, it's no shit. Christian Bale was like, he had a six pack like three weeks ago. And then he'd fucking put on 30 pounds. Uh, yeah, so he's he has these heart pills. you know. Which I thought he was doing drugs the entire movie. And this is when you find out that, oh, no, it's heart medicine. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so they end up, they're, they're, they're Dunsky. They're Splitsville. Uh, and Irving goes to Carmine at this point and says, hey, you know, this is what's up and I want to help you. I think I can do it, yada, yada, yada. And this is like a nasty breakup and the type that I've been through where Carmine hits him. So it's, you know, it's something that I can sympathize with to a little yeah. degree. This is, this is where, where uh, Jeremy Renner's wife gets her one big line that's not about nail polish. And it's also, they explain it in the beginning of the film, but you don't really grasp it or uh, it doesn't wash over you until you visually see it. Where you realize that the uh, Carmine Polito, Jeremy Renner's character, is literally living the plot of Step by Step, where he has fucking ten like grown children staying in his home. Yeah, he's he's beating Christian Bale. Then he turns, and his whole family is by the stairs. And he's like, "Look away!" But they're all people like in their twenties and thirties. They're clearly adults that can handle it. Okay, 
So this all leads to the climax of the film at long last, where they are setting up Telagio to they're going to wire money to him so they can basically this will be when they move in and arrest everybody that they've implicated in this sting. It's, it's the equivalent of uh, Amy Adams taking the check from Bradley Cooper at the beginning of the movie. Ah, uh, foreshadowing. Now it's going to be ideally in their plan is Robert De Niro taking the wire information or whatever, giving the wire information to Bradley Cooper. Yes, and so they wire this money to who they believe is Telegio, $2 million, uh, but Telegio's not there. It's his power of attorney, um, and in one of those scenes of, come on, he, <laughs> he, how stupid can Bradley Cooper's character be? <laughs> this guy literally just tells him everything he wants to hear. He's like, yes, we will break the law, and he's, okay, cool. And so they wire the money, and it turns out that this was all part of the long con with Irving and Sidney, um, where we still don't know where the money went, but we know it's held hostage by them uh, for their immunity and Carmine's sentence to be reduced. Right. So the, the, that guy was not Robert De Niro's attorney. It was just the king of salami or something that they yeah, knew yeah. From, from a party. Cold cut king of Long Island, I think it was. Yeah, they, that's it, the cold cut king. Uh and Bradley Cooper just not doing his research as to, you know, where he's supposed to go. Um, Which they, again, hang a lantern on. It's like, you know, wouldn't look good for the FBI to not know what, uh, you know, Victor Telegio's attorney actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Again, David O. Russell just spelling out the plot points in his <laughs> film for us. You know, right. This may look like a mistake, but if I say it in dialogue, you will all just play along. <laughs> uh, so B. Coop gets sent home. Uh, he may be called as a witness, but that's about it. Uh, where Sydney and Irving do have immunity, they win in the end. They are heroes, but all the swoop-ins are made. The congressman, the senator, Carmine are all arrested. They do get Carmine's sentence reduced to 18 months, but he does state they were never going to be friends again. So <laughs> that's, that's a big tragedy. He's using his fucking leverage to send his friend to prison for 18 months. Like... You guys get immunity. Why didn't you say, and Carmine gets immunity too? It's yeah. such a dick move. Oh, we'll, we'll get it reduced to, to only 18 months in prison. Right, and then the big tragedy is that, that they're not friends anymore. Not that Carmine's career is forever ruined. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this takes us home at long, desired last. We finally reach the conclusion of American Hustle, where in the end... We don't learn anything. <laughs> Sydney and Irving won in the beginning, and they win again here. They it was all a big hustle, and and Bradley Cooper, much like Gene Gray, just flew into the core of the sun in an attempt to you know <laughs> save himself from the situation. Uh, yeah, uh, Jennifer Lawrence goes off with her new boyfriend. Um, inexplicably, he has she has a neck brace. Oh, yeah, she got into an accident. That's right. And then in the final twisting the knife in the side of the female gender, uh, her Jennifer Lawrence's way of uh, her character's way of symbolizing that she's done with Christian Bale is she hands him nail polish and says, I'm done using that color. Because women be shopping. <laughs> Yeah, she drives off, leaves her kid with Christian Bale, apparently. And Amy Adams, she's being a bit, you know, for a new stepmom, a bit, you know, a bit too cozy with the kid, I thought. But, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, that's... 
It Alex, ends. I'd just like you to know that right now you are doing the equivalent of ruining Love Actually for me by telling me how sexist this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I'll say the, in the immortal words of Julio Oliveira, out of all the film critiques I've ever read and anything like that, one thing that's always stuck out with me is Julio said, look, if a movie has you, it can do almost anything and you'll go along with it. And American Hustle did not have me, so these things were very glaring. <laughs> I trust me. There's plenty of movies that I like that you know. Empire Records. When I had to watch that through critical lenses, I just you know, uh, what's the expression? Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, <laughs> it was no, much. I want to forget. I, I don't want it. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's move on to real talk because we have a lot to talk on real talk. We do. Stay away from that. That's 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 bad. That's trouble. Irving, yeah. please. That's that's trouble. Who's this guy? Who are you? Yeah. We're dealing with you. We don't know what we're dealing with. Where's he from? Abu Dhabi. Oh, he's from the Emirates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm gonna him in the lake. That's what I'm gonna say. He's a good. He's a good. He's a good. He's a good. He's a Recording for real talk, Alex Maddis. American Hustle. Why? <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> All right, let's get the usual stuff out of was the way. Was that the easiest contrarian's corner that you've ever had? Uh, well, like I was telling Alex, I was like, I feel like I need to take two separate sets of notes so that to keep the line from blurring between contrarian's corner and real talk. Uh, okay, so the usual, uh, the rigmarole. Uh, con- uh, excuse me. American Hustle was released on in the United States on December 13th, 2013. It was a Christmas movie just in time for the awards season. I was telling Julio Chaz the way I watched this movie because when it came out, it was so close to the said awards season, all the screeners that already hit the internet. So I watched this movie on a flight from uh, Richmond, Virginia back to Austin. Um, I think the people next to me were annoyed with how many times I was sighing and also just visibly distraught. Uh <laughs> Budget of forty million, which is kind of surprising considering who all was involved, um, for a box office return of a little bit over two hundred fifty million, um, was nominated for goddamn everything under the sun. I'm trying to find a quick breakdown of what we're looking at here. Okay, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, best original screenplay, best film editing, best costume design, best production design. 
Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I think if this was actually a comedy, if it actually felt like a comedy, then I wouldn't be as upset with many of the things that I that bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the nonsense, you would be like, oh, but it's a comedy, so it's okay that it doesn't make sense. And and all the outrageous uh costuming and makeup and all that stuff we're like well it's a comedy the problem is that it should have been you know it should have starred james franco and seth rogan not yeah. uh not bradley cooper and christian bale so if we can get to what it lost to um best picture went to 12 years a slave best director went to alfonso Caron for gravity best actor went to the mahay for dallas buyers club which yeah out of those nominated that probably was the right choice uh, best actress, Kate Blanchett and Blue Jasmine. Go fuck yourself. Uh, best supporting mm-hmm. actor, Jared. Uh, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not a Woody Allen apologist here, but she was amazing. I just find her so intolerable. I mean, just because she comes like in interviews, she's uh, kind of so smug. And but hey, yeah. Uh, anyway, she uh, should have gotten an Oscar for either Crystal, uh, Crystal Skull, or. Oh. <laughs> Or, well, you know, hopefully this year she gets it for uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, But to be fair, uh, all jesting aside, uh, for Best Actress that year, I thought it should have gone to Sandra. I thought Sandra Bullock's Oscar should have been for Gravity, not fucking Blindside. Um, Best Supporting Actor was Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club, and Best Supporting Actress was Lupita Nyong'o, well-deserved for 12 Years a Slave. Um, Now, out of all of those... Because, you know, we can pick apart shit in this movie that's wrong with it, which is there's a lot. Those actors and actresses all gave their all, except the Jennifer Lawrence nomination is a fucking joke. <laughs> now, as you, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know Hula and I don't care for this. And you know, because we always name drop Chaz as someone who does like it, that he likes it. <laughs> so, uh, Chaz, we'll start off there. Je- Je- Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> what wait, the wait, fuck? Wait. No, before before we get to that, uh, let's let's... Let's do the runway. With, I'm sorry. I'm uh, so fucking. I'm on prom night all over again. I'm just so ready to get to it. <laughs> uh, so here, here's a little bit of a rotten foreplay. Uh, Louis Project from Reich Arts Movies Reviews says casting Christian Bale as a Bronx Jew makes as much sense as casting Woody Allen as a Baptist minister from Alabama. Not that casting Woody Allen in Bale's role would have saved this mess of a film. Speaking of Woody Allen. Uh, Jay and Tani from Cinema Writer says, more successful than any of the cons on screen is the con hustle plays on its audience. Uh, James Kendrick from Q Network Film Desk says, the actors act up a storm and the tacky period detail from hideous sofas to men in, cur- to men in curlers fill the screen, but in the end it all feels too staged, too played, too self-aware to fully work. Uh, David Nusser from Real Film Reviews says American Hustle ultimately establishes itself as yet another disappointment from David O. Russell. Laurie Hoffman from Atlantic City Weekly says a story that spins out of control and lacks a comedic focus. Uh, Steven Silver from Entertainment Tell says betrays a lack of cinematic judgment that's frankly astonishing from a group of very accomplished filmmakers (laughs) and performers. It's Scorsese karaoke. I love that. Uh, Sean O'Connell this O'Connell, like the Irish, oh, not Sean Oscar O'Connell, mm-hmm. uh, from cinemablend.com says, Martin Scorsese has his good fellas. David O'Russell answers with his mediocre fellas. 
And finally, from Letterbox, Chaz Fisher gives it five stars and a heart and says, I know o. Russell is an abusive dick, but I love the film so much. Posted yesterday. <laughs> uh, okay, back to the matter at hand. Uh, I didn't realize, and I almost feel bad for shitting on that Scorsese comment so much. I didn't realize this was the same year as Wolf of Wall Street, which Wolf of Wall Street is a worse movie than American Hustle. Oh, was Because it? it's longer. Yes. <laughs> and like both of those. Wolf- See, I, I also like Wolf of Wall Street. Of course so you maybe, do. Yeah. Of course you do, Chaz. Uh, you had a great year. <laughs> uh, with both of them, I would make the same argument that it would be a great short film. But, well, fucking Wolf of Wall Street almost goes three hours. Yeah. Uh, and the difference with that is there's things in American Hustle that um, the Bradley Cooper scene where he's making fun of Louis C.K., genuinely funny. The only thing that's like no, but then uh, Wolf of Wall Street has the Kyle Chandler. Chandler. You yeah, beat yeah. me to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. one so, mind. I think I think even though Wolf of Wall Street is longer, and also I think it, for me a bigger disappointment because it's coming from a, a director that I like a lot more than David O. Russell. Uh, I still put it slightly above American Hustle. Having just rewatched American Hustle, maybe if we rewatch Wolf of Wall Street, I would my hate for it would <laughs> be uh, restoked. But uh, right now, I think. This was just well. Let's let's let Chaz. Yeah, Chaz. I I really want to start Jennifer Lawrence. Come on, just let me. <laughs> well, look, she she's part of the bigger whole. So when I watched the film in cinemas, um, I came out thinking that was the best film I'd seen in the decade. I loved it. Uh, it's it's hard for me to. Uh, take I guess taste out of it. It's like you like you guys said with with Empire Records. You know, if if a movie's working <laughs> for you, you'll let it get away with anything. And that's why I was genuinely scared of this viewing. But I do think its tone is what allows it to get away with that. When I saw Live and Let Die, I my mind almost blew with joy. I love that <laughs> moment so much. God damn. in that film <laughs> because it was just like. It just keeps taking steps towards absurdity, and that is part of the message of the movie. Um, I mean, I love this movie so much that on our own podcast, Draft Zero, we analyze the difference between the Blacklist script, American Bullshit, which then David O. Russell took and adapted so loosely. Um, An American Bullshit was actually almost like an Ocean's Eleven-style you know trying to be a true retelling of a lot of the stuff that actually happened like abscam was a real thing a real fbi sting and david o russell what he did was basically took that story and david o russell the shit out of it and um you know whether you think that's a good thing or not is i guess entirely down to taste like bradley cooper's character the reason why he comes across as this like really psychotic character is he's too he was like, they're, they're, in the original script, there were these, you know, buddy FBI partners who were opposites, like good cop and bad cop. And he just smushed them into one character. And I thought David O. Russell did... Uh, sorry, I thought Bradley Cooper... I thought all the actors, they're being told what to do by David O. Russell, right? You can't put any blame at the fault of any of those actors because they're being directed to do that. And whether it uh, works for you or not is something uh, I mean, I don't know. Because if that was the case, then all the praise or their performances would also be basically just going to David or Russell. I think actors are responsible for their performances up to a point, you know, otherwise the, uh, everything that's good about 
I don't know, a performance that we all like, you know, let's say uh, Matthew McConaughey and Fires uh, um, Club. Yeah, Dallas Buyers Club. You'd be like, well, he was just doing what the director told him. I mean, no, I, I'm not I, saying I'm not saying that you can take away from the performance, but when the styles of the performances are the way that they right. are, you know, the the tone. Like, this is not Jennifer Lawrence from Winter's Bone. This is not, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, no, I, I see Christian Bale from The Machinist. Right. This is them putting their faith on, which is, I guess, that's just how the process go goes. I mean, you know, the the actors put their faith in the director that he he has it all in his head and that this is all gonna make sense in the end. Uh, <laughs> I I think it's very telling uh, when Robert De Niro comes in because that's the one part of the movie that works a hundred percent for me. Mm. Uh, because it finally feels like they it feels like a movie instead of just feeling like big name actors fucking around with wigs and and, and <laughs> funky clothes <laughs> from the seventies. De Niro comes in and he actually feels like a character, like a real character, and he feels it doesn't feel like he's improvising his dialogue all the way through. He comes in with a purpose. He is very economical about the way he says things. I buy him, you know, and and he highlights he he makes everybody else looks look even faker. So, uh, uh, I think the I, Martin Scorsese comparisons are unfair, but they are deliberately made because of that sequence. Right? One of the things he that- makes he makes Robert De Niro a threatening, purposeful presence for the first time since what I don't know Heat, right? Twenty five years of Robert De Niro being shit on screen, <laughs> and, <laughs> and David uh, O. Russell pick- gives him something that you know to to me was astonishing. And and it and it feels completely out of place in the movie. But, but see, it, it it feels out of place in the movie. And to me, actually, kind of to flip it back, uh, flip what we were just talking about. I kind of want to say that was just De Niro doing his thing, as opposed to De Niro going by whatever or Russell was making everybody else do. I want to jump yeah, into, but, but with- David or Russell wasn't. You know, jump that 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 scene was still. It was quiet. It wasn't. You know. Uh, in a disco with Amy Adams screaming and peeing. It wasn't live and let die. You can't take away from the director's decisions in those scenes either. I'm coming in a bit late here, but I want to go back to the point of the directing and, you know, you got to give him credit for the things that work. That's fair, but then you also have to fucking... For the things that don't work, like Amy Adams weaving in and out of her accent, you got to put... <laughs> you have to put that all in a Russell as well because that's him telling her, you know... That's something that He's I like. Fuck it, we'll, but we'll to me, that's post. so deliberate. How do you I, I don't know if there's any as a deliberate actor that can choice. You know, no, no, no. The, the, that that accent is supposed to be terrible. She's supposed to weave in and out of it, and everyone buy it. You know, like you know is that it, that to me was totally in line with the movie. I I, I it feels to me like uh, one. I I just because you're going at it from the point of view of. Oh well, this is just supposed to be silly, and it's supposed to be so out of a. Uh, you know, we're not supposed to take it seriously, basically, right? How because- can you how can you argue that you are supposed to take it seriously when you have Jennifer Lawrence cleaning her house and singing "Living and Let Die" at you? Right, but that's like two hours into the movie. I mean, but- <laughs> it's about four hours <laughs> in, four to be fair. The- <laughs> I I think that there is a. a- the the idea that we're not supposed to take this seriously because it's just all silly and it's it's just all people bullshitting each other and whatever is at odds with the tone of the performances even though yes it is ridiculous to see jennifer lawrence doing live and let die or to see uh 
Christian Bale with that ridiculous come over or Bradley Cooper with the curlers and like the dialogue and whatever. But then the how, way is, that how is all this not adding up to them saying don't take this seriously? Because the 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 performances themselves are just they take themselves so seriously. I mean, you're yeah. There's uh, there's the, no like knowing or winking nod at any point. And, and Christian Bale, I think he would take offense to being told he was in a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel it, like it starts with three minutes of him putting a putting a comb over together. Of course, it's a comedy. It tells you with the opening shot that this is not to be taken. Isn't that like the fucking opening of the machinist like that? But instead of him being <laughs> fat in a comb over, he's like skin and bones. It's him putting his shirt on. <laughs> now, I would say I would say that Christian Bale's performance is very grounded compared to everyone else around him and you know the the emotional core of this movie is not sydney and and christian bale it is uh, christian bale and and jeremy renner and jeremy renner's performances i think other than that horrible clams moment is pitch perfect and i, that, I think it's it's heartbreaking uh, spicy cl- spicy clam chowder <laughs> <laughs> but it I, I is that... but it is like a completely different movie and and i and i do think there there are a lot of very tonally different films in here but i just watched the handmaiden last night and there's there's a film which has a thriller a com a slapstick comedy a porno a horror movie all thrown into one i i think that there is a difference between uh doing something funny in a funny way and doing something funny in a serious way. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you that, you know, well, you can still say this was a comedy, but is it effective <laughs> as a comedy? It, okay, so you were saying that you watched it, you know, and it just kind of blew your mind that first time. Were you, like, laughing or were you just more like, wow, I can't believe that they're just being this fucking weird? Oh, in, in the live and let die sequence, I was just laughing. And I think the... I, I feel, you know, the the thing that, that this viewing in this podcast, The Contrarian's Corner, did... Uh, you know make me feel very uncomfortable is the film's treatment of women i think i let the film get away with a lot of that because uh you know it's set in a time when women were treated like that and part of me was like oh you know that's that's making the comment that women were treated like shit but no you get to feel a little bit of david o russell's uh, view of women (laughs) while watching this film which from the feet up uh yeah (laughs) That's the one thing where I, no matter how I phrase it, I'm not going to be able to defend the movie on that front, which I, I do find slightly disappointing. But what I would say is I thought Amy Adams's and Rosalind's characters and performances, to me, they, they worked so well, and that's why I forgave it. Now, the fact that they are abhorrent <laughs> representations of, of gender is... Uh, you know, something to put at a Russell's fate. I think that that's also something that, to me, it just works against it as a comedy. It's just that the the Amy Adams character in particular, because it's, it's two different sets of things not working for me. Because in the Jennifer Lawrence part, I actually do see it as a comedic performance. It just doesn't work for me. I don't find it funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she's like super over the top and everything she says is just ridiculous and i just don't find it funny but i can see how she was going for comedy right you know how this is like oh this is supposed to be funny okay it's not funny to me but i i can see that right but the amy adams character is very 
and, and she she can do comedy. I've seen her do comedy, but this was just it was just very tragic. Even if forget about the accent, just the situation that she's put in and the things that the movie has happened to her. Uh, you know, when you have her in a room with uh, Bradley Cooper, kind of forcing her himself on her and her trying to decide if she has to like how far she can go with this or whatever. That's not something that I would say. Oh well, you know, but it's all meant to be bullshit. It's all meant to be silly. It's all meant to be like whatever. So it's like yeah, it's two people on like bad wigs and seventies clothes and like with in and out accents and whatever, but doing something that's like kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, and so I think that that also worked. Uh, against the movie for me you know that i'm like i'm watching i was like but this is not it doesn't even feel like it's supposed to be funny it, i can see how they're trying to make it funny but it feels like there's a lot of performances that are from different movies uh and bradley cooper in particular i think i don't think everyone's genuinely going for it i don't know what the fuck jennifer lawrence is doing but again <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, I, I didn't really bone up on my history on this one, but she was like a late replacement, if I remember correctly. Jennifer oh, really? Lawrence. Yeah. I remember her being like the last one that was signed on uh, in terms of the the big parts. Um, I think Jeremy Renner's awesome. I think he, in general, is an underutilized actor, but I think he's really good in this. And the he does have a very minimal part. Um, and I think Bradley Cooper... I think he read the script and was like, I could get an Oscar for this. <laughs> and he's just kind of going for it. But yeah, some of the... I don't know. I remember watching it the first time. The only other time I watched it, Christian Bale getting the gun just like, comes out of nowhere. And it, it like it feels like this movie goes into fourth gear, And granted, after several hours. But it goes into fourth <laughs> gear very abruptly. And it yeah. does feel like the end comes really quick. Um, yeah. You can see it coming, but, like, the actual ending comes very quickly. And I only, like, when I I genuinely meant in Contrarian's Corners, you see the plot... the plot holes when I'm when I'm looking for them, but to me the movie got me over them through its tone and its uh, its charm. Yeah, I mean, obviously it worked for me and didn't work for for you guys, and I think that is the underlying difference as to how we feel about this film. I came out with the ninety three percent Rotten Tomatoes, thinking this was one of the best films of the decade. So, Jesus. and it's hard to, and I've watched it I think three or four times now. And I, I still love it so much. I was, I was, uh, I, I really was taking notes on a different page while, while we're watching because there were like things I was like, okay, this is not really Contrarian's Corner stuff. It's like really me trying to figure out kind of like what we did with, uh, this is 40 where I'm like, okay, but where does my intense dislike of this movie <laughs> come from? Instead of just saying, you know, yeah, it's just not for me and just leaving it at that. But American Hustle actually makes me, you know, it, it just, I, I mean, I wouldn't get, like, anger, like, with red face and everything, but it does bother me that it's so well-regarded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, well, no, but but also I'm like, okay, what is it that's not working about me? Because, I mean, what Chess says, it it makes sense to me as one of the reasons that I thought. I was like, obviously, if you think that this is funny, if you're having a good time, then what do you care about her accent? What do you care that, you know, this doesn't make sense or whatever, right? Uh, so I'm deli- like... But that was a deliberate choice. I, like see, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think, think I don't think it's a deliberate choice. I mean, I think that if it's a deliberate choice, it doesn't hold up as as sort of as a plot choice. You know, if it's a comedic choice that oh, you know, nobody notices that her accent is shit. I'm like, okay, that's funny. But for one, I will accent- be the first to admit that plot. What 
O'Russell has done is given the plot the back seat. The plot is <laughs> yes. like the barest of Thank things you. to hook together <laughs> all these characters and situations that he wants to explore. With that being said, wouldn't you agree this is way too long? Uh, you know, I think any film... Uh, look, I, it's a tough one because I think if you're enjoying something... It's like everyone comes out of The Last Jedi complaining that it the one thing that everyone can agree on on The Last Jedi is that it is too long. And I think that's the same here. I will agree that it's too long. But uh, real, real quick, hey, okay, you're me. asking the wrong person because he already admitted that he, he likes Wolf of Wall Street. I was about to say real quick, Chaz, uh, hold off on that Last Jedi because me and Julio have been saving our Last Jedi discussion until we had you on the podcast. So we're going to oh, incorporate generous that. Of you. And uh, also, real quick, speaking, uh, Julio said good time. Chaz, have you seen Good Time? No, I haven't. I've been hearing amazing things, though. Okay, yeah, that was... So, spoiler uh, free, please. Yeah, okay. The movie's fucking amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, so I understand your point. You know, if something's working, you don't kind of want it to end. But, man, for someone like myself and Julio, where these things aren't working for us, I, I, I don't mean to speak for you, but I felt like this was just dragging and dragging well yeah you you instantly start looking for when you're watching it and you're not enjoying it you get a lot of like what is this here why is this here moments right where you're like well they could have cut this out i would have had a better time yeah <laughs> uh, i don't need to see them dancing in slow motion for like the third or fourth time i, I could just like get rid of that um it but yeah if you're enjoying it even so though i mean any movie that goes over two hours i where so little happens I, I think that they need to do a little more to justify the runtime. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, like, very little that happens here. Uh, very know, little happens it, in the last, like, 30 or 40 minutes of the movie. Right. There's a lot of, of stuff that just, you know, it's just, I understand it's character building uh, stuff. But, you know, I wish it had been better integrated mm -hmm. with just a plot that kept moving forward. I mean, I do, I do feel sorry. I can't remember the writer's name, Eric whatever his name was, but he wrote this script that got onto the blacklist, like was passed around Hollywood saying, this is uh, an uh, amazing piece of work. We should make this film. It's amazing. And Eric Singer, Eric Singer. There you go. His script is barely recognizable in there. Like the one thing that's in there that is like verbatim just been left in is the um, Michael Pena abscam like the FBI genuinely got a Mexican to play an Arab <laughs> sheikh to try and con um, U.S. politicians, um, and that's straight out of the script. But you don't have all the the banter in air quotes between um, Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper. And that is another thing that I know that's a personal taste thing uh, that works uh, against me enjoying the movie. I just, if you've listened to this podcast, if you talk to me outside of the podcast, you know that. That kind of stuff, I just don't don't like it. It's I've I used to like it somewhat back in the day, and now I just I completely grown out of that. Uh, My scripts because of that. <laughs> cut all <laughs> the did. banter, just... Chaz. <laughs> well, but it's one thing. Banter is one level. The next level is just improvised banter, <laughs> which I remember I used to like. I remember thinking, oh, this is cool. It's like real life, and now I just have no patience for it. I'm like cut it out and just get on with the story. And there's a lot of, uh, every time that Jennifer Lawrence had one of her arguments with Christian Bale, I could just feel them going off script mm. and just kind of like winging it. And what, what that leads to is a lot of repetition. And when a movie is too 
mm-hmm. hours and what 20 minutes mm-hmm. it was like just cut that shit out i get mm-hmm. it you didn't like the the microwave oven mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's the move science on. oven the science oven mm-hmm. um, but then the other thing uh, that i really i know that this is not something that makes a movie bad as in like oh they did something wrong it's just the way that it affects me and it might affect other people it's just that i I had a, some trouble with Christian Bale as, let's say, the protagonist. So you you have you follow Christian Bale, you follow Amy Adams, you follow Bradley Cooper. Those are your three people that you're following at any given time. You get a little bit of Jennifer Lawrence, but she's basically incidental. She's not yeah. gonna make or break the movie for you, you know. Even with Live or Let Die in there. So, <laughs> uh, and out of those three, I think that even though Amy Adams is probably the clearest victim. I remember watching it the first time, and now as I rewatched it, she is not really the one in the right, as in like, oh, I'm going to root for her. I feel bad for her because out of those three, Bradley Cooper is the worst. You know, he's violent, he's an asshole, and and he kind of like, he's blackmailing the two people that we kind of care for at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm against him. And he seems to be taking advantage of Amy Adams, uh, but I she has that moment where... She has that fight with with Christian Bale right after they they uh they got pinched, and she's like, "We need to get away. We need to go away." And Bale's like, "Well, I can't go away because my son is here," and he's being pretty rational about it. And she's not in the sense that she's like, "We need to get the fuck out of here. We'll get the kid," even though she doesn't know how. She's the one who's just been locked in a in a bare lightless room for three days while he was watching her through, you know. Glass. Right. I, I understand where she's coming from, but never in the movie. Does she get to a point where she's like, I see your point of view. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. It's your kid or whatever, you know. And I understand that I was being reckless. We can't just, like, take him and escape or whatever, you know. And and the thing is that they got they got pinched because of her. Because she's the one that, you know, Bale is having, like, second thoughts. And she's the one that goes and takes a check from, from Bradley Cooper. And she never takes responsibility for that. And I know it's a small thing. But yeah. I realized that it bothered me throughout the entire movie. I was like, why is it Why is it that I'm not rooting for Amy Adams as much as I'm rooting for, say, Christian Bale? And it was like, because she's never she never takes responsibility for how she got them into that position. You know, at least for her part in this whole thing. Uh, and so that bothers me on the Amy Adams side. On the Christian Bale side, it just bothers me that he's... We're just watching an entire movie of him being bossed around, really not really doing much until the very end. You know? And I think that maybe if we had had a few more instances of Christian Bale being ingenious and kind of reminding us that he is actually some sort of really yeah. smart guy, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe I could have enjoyed more. But really, the movie is just him telling Bradley Cooper, hey, don't do this. And then Bradley Cooper does it. And Christian mm-hmm. Bale is like, fuck. And then he leans mm-hmm. his head against the wall. <laughs> now, so much. But all the things, here's, here's where I, I come down. And the reason why, like... You guys don't want to just lay this at, at, at taste, and I get that. But how the one thing that I feel like you guys are not allowed to argue with is that how all these choices are so deliberate. Like, it's not mistakes on behalf of the screenwriters or the directors or the actors. They are deliberate choices that may well offend you to the very soul, and I get that, <laughs> right? But, you know, the, the fact is then they're all supposed to be unlikable characters conning their way through life, you know, and... I thought they're great complex characters who, you know, that that Irving's journey is from one of being a complete user who lives a leech that feeds off the misery of others 
to just someone who continues to live off the misery of others, but feels bad about it for the first time in his life. Like, that's not a big journey of redemption, right? It's not pretending to be either. Yeah, well, I'm down with, I mean, that's what I was saying. This is why I, I figure out why I, I'm having more trouble with it, you know, even though this is, I mean, I'm down with unlikable characters, but why is it that I like some unlikable characters and I didn't like these? Yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's like, if I'm not finding the whole thing funny and these characters are not really working for me because of what I said, then it's just, it's kind of an excruciating thing to watch. You yeah. know, like, yeah. just imagine your experience, but without it being funny mm-hmm. <laughs> and without you. Well, it's like, okay, so you find it funny. Does that mean that when you're watching it, you're kind of like, oh, well, this is happening, but I'm not actively rooting for anybody to, you know, achieve their goals. You're just kind of watching the... Oh, because, like, I'm I'm rooting for all three of them. I mean, look, Bradley Cooper the least. But even him, you know, there are moments where you feel sorry for them as characters. And, you know, it's more of a pity party than a, whoa, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I really care about you. But that's, like, a good character drama. And I know I just said good character drama in the face of this film. But that, <laughs> to me, is what ends up being satisfying to me. Live and Let Die is not what satisfies me about this movie good side boob good. is not what satisfies me about this movie what satisfies me is you know genuinely not knowing whether amy adams cares about brad coops or not or cares about irving those relationships at the end that every single relationship in this movie is fucked up and acknowledges that so much of what I said in Contrarian's Corner was my real points <laughs> on the movie, so it, it was it's difficult to kind of chime in. But I, I, I think it boils down to, I don't know. You, you make you know from your stance, Chaz, some good arguments and good mm-hmm. positioning, um, but. I don't see it that way, and I also... And this is my podcast, so goodbye. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> but what you're saying is, that, like, those are defenses that I take for, you know, bad movies that I like. Empire Records. Empire, yeah, so it, it's just fascinating to me to have this discussion about a movie that so, was so wildly uh, her- heralded yeah. and, like, widely acclaimed, where I just... I don't think Jennifer Lawrence is good at all. Mm-hmm. And with Christian Bale, just from all the impressions I've ever gotten from him uh, as an actor and his approach to it, interviews, things like that, I don't think he's the kind of guy who would do comedy. So I don't see what he's trying to do to be played for comedic effect. Uh, I, don't, Did you watch- I don't think he is. You know, I mean, look, you're laughing at him, not not with him. You know, it's it's three minutes of him doing his hair. Like, he's an inherently like tragic comic character you know if you're going back to comedy principles he's he's the the character you laugh at not with he's not funny uh did you watch the the big short i did not see the big short okay i think did you watch it yes yeah yeah okay so i think i don't think that he's he is particularly funny in the big short that's in like he's putting on a comedic performance he's putting a very big performance in the big short not as big as an american hustle but still you know <laughs> nothing is as big as american hustle <laughs> uh but uh but yet i remember finding him funny i mean not as a character but the situations that he was in there's he he's kind of like this guy that's very uh just the way he responded to things he's very matter of fact and very logical and uh 
I mean, he made me laugh there more than he did yeah. <laughs> in here. But that's uh, but that's another one where, like, you know, the comedy is not necessarily on how he's portraying it, mm-hmm. but just on like the things that happen around him. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just I just didn't find any of this uh, that funny. There's another thing uh, that drove me crazy this time mm-hmm. around. I think mm-hmm. more than uh, the first time, and that is the repetition, like the redundancies all throughout the movie, which again add up so much when it's past two hours uh i mean i'm guessing you didn't have a problem with that Chaz. but but did no, you I mean, it's notice a very, them it's a, very, the... it, it's a film that i and i mean i meant this when i said it it hangs a lantern on every single thing there is nothing <laughs> subtle about this movie it really there's nothing subtle does. about any david or russell movie <laughs> So it's it's a film that tells you what it's about. It's about how we're all conning ourselves to survive, and you know the they are the fact that they go back to the Milwaukee, you know, ice fishing story um, three times without ever telling us what the, how the story ended. Like, yeah, it, it is deliberately ridiculous, and I don't think those repeated lines they can't be improv. It's not that someone on set said oh i'm gonna say from the feet up every two lines and that's my my <laughs> improv moment well i wasn't i mean from the feet up is definitely i don't think from the feet up is 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 improv i i think that that's <coughs> very deliberately uh some sort of like thematic reminder mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i'm talking more about like most of the jennifer lauren scenes mm-hmm. uh, yeah how she, like, how she especially but that's yeah that's how she just keeps character. saying how the same thing over the and same over. thing over and over again yeah um i mean I know people who do that. It it can be sublimely annoying, you know. My boss is one of <laughs> oh, yeah. those people. You, you've fallen into the whole like, well, I know somebody that does this <laughs> that line of defense. Uh, all right, all right. I I don't feel like I can defend this movie because I love it. Ninety three percent of critics love <laughs> it. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's like I don't need to defend it. Just look up Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> well, the no, only but... the only area we're gonna go with talking about American Hustle more is Chaz drinking more coffee and me and Julio <laughs> just drinking more booze. So we're gonna have to bring this home eventually. So let's let's uh, let's go to this. Chaz, was it your top movie of 2013? Uh God, it, probably close. I mean, look, Twelve Years a Slave moved me in a completely different way. Was that the same year as Gravity as well? Gravity. Oh, I mean, Gravity was astonishing, but this is the film that, for me, I will probably keep watching. Like, I don't think I will go back to 12 Years a Slave, much in the same way that I won't go back to Irreversible or um, Ooh. Uh, yeah, Requiem for a Dream. Like, there are some films that I think are astonishing, but I won't go back yeah, yeah so. that's definitely one I was going to say I agree with. I, I watch that once every five or six years to remind myself how good it is, but God, it's punishing. Yeah. Um, so this one is the one that I think I'll rewatch the most into the future out of that year. I was I actually was able to pull up my list while we were watching this. My top three movies of 2013 were uh, Inside Lewin Davis, uh, Pain and Gain, and oh, Enough Pain Said. And, and so, yeah, I th- I think... Unfortunately, American Hustle didn't crack the, the top 100 of 2013. So, um, do you remember what you had, Julio? Uh, no, and I can't pull it up on my phone. You might, if you're on Facebook, look, go to my profile and look at my notes. You might be able to pull it up there. But I want to say, Inside Lou and Davis was probably top three. Uh, I, I liked Gravity, but I think I had it probably in the lower, like top ten. 
Um, definitely, you know, I remember Wolf of Wall Street and American Hustle were movies I was looking forward to and just I didn't like. Mm -hmm. uh, well, with that all being said, uh, you know, one of the big sellers here was I've had to cut Julio off on the past few recordings because mm -hmm. let's cram in real quick some Last Jedi talk. So, Chaz, mm -hmm. just a brief mm -hmm. summation. Uh, Last Jedi, thoughts, feelings on it. And, and actually, before he does that, uh, you can find like a bigger because I've listened to their most recent uh, their wrap up episode of Draft Zero, and him and Stu go on at length about uh, Last Jedi. Uh, but I think that we're gonna go in a less crafty. We're gonna take a less yeah. crafty approach. Just talk from the heart. Don't 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 speak from the brain, Chaz. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll speak from the heart. So. Um, there were moments in The Last Jedi when I just was crying from how Star Wars it was. Um, I love that there is new Star Wars that makes me feel the way that the old Star Wars made me feel. I loved the Leia and Luke journeys. I got no problem with what they did with Snoke and Rey. Um, I did... I my, my overwhelming feeling is I wish they would stop fucking remaking the original trilogy and just make new stories like that that is my main quibble with the last jedi i thought that with the force awakens they'd gotten that out of their system they're like all right we've remade the originals now we can do something new and i was a bit disappointed that they hadn't that rogue one as much of a mess of a fucking movie that that is had more was more of an original story than the last jedi so you weren't as crazy about Rogue One because uh, I just saw that for the first time recently, and I, I thought it was fun, but I just didn't see what. There's a lot of people who told me it was the best Star Wars movie ever, and I thought they were fucking stupid. Yeah, the, I think it's one of the best thematic Star Wars stories. Like it's the first Star Wars movie where you see this the war and the effect of war on people, rather than sitting in fucking throne rooms and talking about shit. You know, like I liked that it was down in the commoners mark of you know espionage and i liked you know how dark and real it was uh there was just some you could tell that you know one director was fired and another director was born in to redirect half the movie <laughs> um all right and real quick before though to back to star wars short term 12 is your top movie of 2013 julio that makes sense i stand for that's a pretty that. fucking awesome movie that is a great movie. That's the movie where I fell in love with Brie Larson. No. Uh, up till then, I really didn't know what people were talking about. And then after that, I was like, anything she's in, I'm I'm there. Uh, so Last Jedi for myself, I, I saw that. We went and saw it the Saturday, the weekend it came out, bright and early, because I wanted to go to an early showing. Avoid the crowds, you know how I do. <laughs> Showed up in my PJs. Um, I thought, like we spoke about briefly a bit earlier, it was too long. I thought the story on the casino planet could have been significantly shortened. Um, there, like the, the chase on that planet was yep. it, anyway, Benicio del Toro was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I thought the movie was great. And even with its length, the payoff in the end, fucking worth it. Like, yes. uh, it's been a long time since I audibly reacted emotionally to a shot like i did of luke looking at the two sun mm. setting yeah and i was oh man that mm. you know uh yeah it, it was an it, and even so the most emotional was even though i knew it was coming the dedicated to our princess carrie yeah. fisher i was just oh god <laughs> <laughs> uh but i thought ryan johnson did a fantastic job it, you know um 
this isn't something that makes sense to a lot of people that don't really watch movies like we do, but you know, in our circles, this is, you know, the director of a Star Wars film is one of the most thankless roles in Hollywood. <laughs> yes, hot dog. So it's one of those things of I thought Ryan Johnson made the most of his opportunity. Perfectly honest, as far as his movies go, I still like Looper better, the best of all the Ryan Johnson movies I've seen. But I thought Last Jedi was great, and it did feel because you know Force Awakens was awesome, but it was also just kind of like it was awesome because it was we're getting back to basics. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas this was, it felt like something fresh, a new direction, and I also loved. Uh, the Ray story and also about how her parents are nobody. I thought that yes. was excellent. Um, but yeah, um, a little long, but outside of that, I'm glad so far we're on the same page. So Julio, what were your thoughts? I, I, I mean, I, I'm obviously the three of us liked it. And I, I, I had like three things that I didn't, you know, that if somebody pressed me, I'd be like, okay, this is the things that I, I was not crazy about uh, length, even though I agree that the third act just, completely justifies everything i even like the i like the casino stuff i had a great time that's a justin thoreau cameo that that's right. you know just mm-hmm. goes unmentioned mm-hmm. by most people mm-hmm. um i i was not crazy about the the cgi and snoke and i hate when people complain about mm. cgi i think yeah. that's an easy complaint to go to but i i really this is the first time we got like a really good look at him and he looked like the bad guy in justice league i mean he just <laughs> generic it takes uh, it it take, it makes him less threatening yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, it feels, this is a complaint I always hear about CGI and I never feel it. And this time I felt it, which is like, he felt fake. Yeah. Everybody else felt real around him and he just felt like a construction. So that, that was a little And the blah. flip side, they used the puppet for Yoda. Yeah, yes. that was great. That was great. Uh, and then the other thing uh, that I just wish it was done better. I don't have a problem with uh, Leia floating back mm-hmm. to the ship, mm-hmm. but it looked weird. And I've heard this uh, on another podcast, this theory that makes perfect sense. Uh, so I'm kind of, I hope that it's true, which is that, uh, you know, Force Awakens was the Han Solo movie. Uh, Last Jedi is the Luke movie. And the next one was supposed to be the Leia yeah. farewell. Yeah. And of course, that can't be because mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher passed. So they had to, they forced themselves to have a moment, a big moment for her in this movie. Mm-hmm. So what you saw was just this construct that they did after she had died just to give her like one last moment where like, oh, she uses the force and she floats back. That's like a big wow moment. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the way it's shot, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense that it's it's been done after the fact. Just kind of like to give her one last big moment because you're not going to be able to do it in the next movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with the actual, you know, with the action of her floating back. I'm like, that's fine. It's like the future. She's learned the force. What do we know? You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with that. But uh but I, I think it looks kind of clunky. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of a shame. But really, my main thing that I, I kind of like tell people about The Last Jedi that obviously your mileage may vary. But I, I am a big fan of this theme of, of uh, speaking of repetition in David O. Russell movies, <laughs> like mm-hmm. this whole thing about history repeating itself. And there are a lot of things that people point at, like the people that didn't like Last Jedi or Force Awakens. They're like, well, it's just the same as. Yeah, 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 previous trilogy or whatever. But I'm like, I think that in this case, I think it's built into the story in a way that makes sense, in a way that there are patterns, there, there are cycles. I, I'm a big fan of, uh, uh, I was going to say Wrath of Khan, but no, it's a Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. Because even though it takes a lot of beats from Wrath of Khan, I feel that they acknowledge that this is happening on a, on a separate timeline, an alternate timeline, and yet that even though it's an alternate timeline, there are things that will still always happen. There will yeah. always be somebody 
sacrificing themselves to stop him and all that kind of stuff, you know? And so when I read it that way, I get a lot out of it. I really enjoy it. I know that most people, a lot of people don't don't like it. They're like, man, they couldn't think of anything better than ripping off the previous movie. So same thing here. Mm-hmm. It's like the Empire can't get over their obsession of building big, giant machines <laughs> that have tiny, uh, you know, weak points. And... Uh, you know, it's like Luke grows up to be Yoda. Even I mean, that's not, I don't think that that's what he meant, but he ends up being like this old Jedi in exile, you know? And then the fact that Yoda shows up to tell him you're being an idiot, it's just great, you know? And that that only works if you're looking at it as a bigger pattern, as, a, as yeah. something that goes on from, you know? So, yes, it would be cool to see them do new stuff, but I think if they're going to say goodbye to the old mythology and launch themselves into new directions... I, I can appreciate the fact that they're taking their time to do that this goodbye. Yeah, I also thought The Force Awakens was the end of it, and then Last Jedi was going to be completely new. But now, after seeing what they did with Luke, I was like, that's cool. The character earned it, and what they did, you know, is... I guess they really took their time with, with Rey's journey. and mm-hmm. So I appreciate the repetition. I appreciate the new touches, you know. It's like she goes down into that cave of uh, the On dark her side. Acid trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she goes on her acid trip, and... Her experience, even though it's reminiscent of Luke and Empire going into the cave and fighting Vader and uh-huh. whatever, you know, this experience that we see in Last Jedi is very much her own. Mm-hmm. You know, her she is not the daughter of a powerful Jedi. She's the daughter of nobody. And I like that even though you have the beat about the parents that's reminiscent of Luke's heritage in the original trilogy, in her case, it, there's a turn. And it's like, no, you have nothing, yeah. you know? I- I am genuinely be really concerned mad. that JJ is the director of the third one because I was about to say like, I'm gonna be really mad if they walk that back. Yeah, because I really like the reveal that she's just nobody. You yeah, know? that that'll be great. Which is kind of like what Anakin was. You know, if you want to go back three movies, <laughs> six movies back, you know, yeah. it's like Anakin just came out of nowhere. No, so but he was conceived it, by the Force. Like, fuck that. And and I'll I'll agree with my my draft zero co-host you on this. The the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequels, like George Lucas's Star Wars, had a very big kind of class filter on it. He had a lot of stuff about destiny and, you know, uh, everything was at this like super high level class wise. And I like that that um, Ryan Johnson, basically the theme of this movie was breaking all that down. Yep. Uh, that was. Did you see? Cause I'm surprised that this is not something that everybody has noticed. I I would say 50 percent of the people I've talked to, uh, they didn't notice the little kid at the end oh, uh, yeah. using the force yeah. to get. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, you didn't see that? How did you not notice? People that? missed that. Yeah. Oh wow. Like, it's what? the last oh, shot of the movie. Were they not fucking watching? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I understand it's a very small moment, and it's towards the end of the movie, so you're kind of like in the process of either tuning out or drying your tears or whatever. Mm. But uh, it, to me, it was just it just says everything. Yeah. Well, the problem is they didn't say from the feet up, so you didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> they do they do the, the the camera didn't start on the kid's feet and go all the way up the broom and then ends on the. <laughs> all right, bringing it home here. We're uh, uh, wrapping up, Chaz. You know we talk about draft zero on here pretty frequently, so um, you know for our listeners, where can they find you? What do you need to plug? Uh, so yeah, plug my podcast. Uh, www.draft-zero.com um, but really it's only for people who want to write screenplays my own wife does, wouldn't couldn't bear to listen to my podcast so my own fiance doesn't listen to mine and uh, <laughs> this is for everybody 
um i did hear I, I think there was a meme going around some point what what's the collective noun for white dudes um, what's that a podcast <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, my, my plugs, are um, I'm really enjoying, there's so much fucking TV to watch at the moment, but the thing that I'm sneaking away to watch in the bathroom while, uh, for, and not looking after my children or talking to my wife is Godless at okay, the moment please on don't, Netflix. Okay, please don't, do not plug porn. <laughs> uh, Godless on Netflix. That's, how many episodes is that, 10? Uh, you know, I, I didn't actually check. Usually I check before diving in. I don't know, but it's. Do you just go on the strength of uh, Scott Frank's uh, show running yeah. abilities? I guess, and it's it, it's it's a it's the most Western a Western film has been in a very long time. Yeah, he was at AFF last year, and he was talking about it. And I was like, "Oh, that sounds great!" And I've seen him on Netflix. Like, I've seen the I've seen it show up, but I just haven't had time. And it's not. And it's not like it, obviously, like all westerns, it is about something, but it's not like. You know how westerns and zombie movies have become like the trappings for a story about something else? This is like a story about, you know, living in the West and trying to find the will to survive in these really hard times. So I think that's why it's only seven episodes. So Oh wow. Not not quite no the excuse. the chore that watching TV can feel like these days. So uh, my plug for this episode is going to be I started watching uh, Ozark today and I told Julio I was mad when I remembered I had to do this shit with y'all because I wanted to keep watching it. <laughs> uh, no, it, yeah, so that's something I'm very eager to get back to. And I think in the last podcast I plugged the Friday the 13th video game, which yes, I'm, did, I'm but... still very much into. So well, technically two podcasts ago because I was 51. Oh, that's right. It was, our chronology is all kinds of fucked up, so... I can't uh, believe Ozark. you guys did Sing Street. I'm so excited to listen to that episode. That's a great movie, man. Yeah. I had no idea what it was, and they just said, hey, we're doing this. I was like, all right, and I watched it, and I was like, man, that was fucking excellent. It's so great. Yeah. So Ozark, and um, I feel like I watched something else recently. Oh, Smart People with uh, Dennis Quaid and Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, that's but that's one of your go-tos. Right? It is. Yeah, yeah, I'll just plug it again because it's great. <laughs> Julio, um, I uh, I'll play I'll plug a big movie and a small movie. So the big movie is uh, Molly's Story, which is Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut, and you know you can uh, be relieved he can direct. Was he smoking crack the whole time? I don't know. I, 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 I was not with him when he was shooting it. I just I, I just watched it, but uh, it's really good. Jessica Chastain uh, is amazing, as you would expect. Uh, Oh, dude, she's hosting SNL next weekend. Really? Yeah, dude, Jessica Chastain mm. doing sketch comedy. I'm, mm. I'm, I am all in for that. <laughs> uh, well, trust me, you want to watch Molly's story. It's, it's great. If you like Aaron Sorkin, is what you would expect as far as the writing, you know, the dialogue and all that stuff. Isn't it Molly's Game? Yeah, Molly's Game. Molly's Game. Yeah, she is. Uh, it's based on a book, and uh, she is uh, basically this. I don't want to spoil all the turns, but basically it has to do with poker. She's running poker games and all the shit that mm -hmm. happens uh, to her because of that. Um, as Idris Elba. As her oh, lawyer. yeah, yeah, yeah. I read about that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. Just trust me. You just want to go and watch it. Uh, just expect what you would expect from Aaron Sorkin, which mm -hmm. is great dialogue. And then and then when you remember he's directing, you're like, oh, man, he like he pulled it off. Uh, my other thing is uh, it's on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix Australia, but hopefully <laughs> – uh, it's called Infinity Chamber, and it's uh, it's a sci-fi movie. Uh, I I watched it because I'm friends with the I'm friends on Facebook with the actor, 
who's Christopher Soren Kelly, and the writer-director is Travis Milloy, who wrote uh, the Dennis Quaid movie uh, where he's like a... Day After Tomorrow? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it's a good movie. It's a okay. movie I like. It's called uh, Pandorum. Have you seen oh, Pandorum, yeah. Chaz? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Did you like it? Because it's actually really low on Rotten Tomatoes. We could do it on the show. Uh, but it's uh, I liked it a lot. It's eventually it's like a Event movie. Horizon Part 2. <laughs> yes. Uh, ben Foster, Dennis Quaid. I don't remember who else is in it. But anyway, this guy now wrote and directed this uh, this movie. And it's like sci-fi. And it's not super long. It's mostly this guy trapped in a room. Uh, he's been grabbed by a crime that you know he didn't commit. And he's just being kept hostage. It has like some echoes of Moon, the the Sam Rockwell movie, where it's just like him and this artificial intelligence he's talking to, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he escapes into uh, part of being detained uh, is that there's this machine that tries to get into his dreams, just to kind of like they don't interrogate him. Instead, this machine is trying to make him dream and then explore his dreams for the truth, and uh, so he starts using this as an escape, and it's it's really awesome. It was, you know, sometimes people will. Re- uh, ask you to watch stuff that they've done yeah and you're like okay but i don't know if i like it and if i don't like it i don't know what i'm gonna tell you <laughs> and so when this guy posted that he had a new movie i was like okay cool i'll watch it and then i guess if i don't like it i'm just not gonna say anything <laughs> and uh i was just very happy to be able to tell him man that was awesome i'm so happy that i watched it it was it was it was a good time and nice. it's like 80 minutes tops so you can just get through it you know quickly it's not a, a David O'Russell joint. It, it, yeah, I was going to say that's very uh, un russell like. So, <laughs> well, with all that being said, uh, I resisted the entire time to mm-hmm. say thanks for joining us from down under. But uh, <laughs> no, Chaz, I'd, I'm surprised we were able to get this going. We pulled it off, and I, I, you know, we put this off a few times. So I appreciate your patience with us. But I'm glad we were get, able to get together for this. And uh, seeing as though it's really not that difficult and hopefully do it again in the future oh dude i'm in on the terminator series <laughs> pick any one of them and i will happily join in no we have quite the gauntlet to choose from so. <laughs> i mean whatever we do whatever combination whatever terminator salvation has to be there it's in somehow it's a, some shape form yeah we can tie that in. i'm trying to think of a way we can always tie Chaz in it can either be like uh, a shoot 'em up type series with Terminator and Die Hard, or it has to have David O. Russell at the helm. So we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, but no, really, uh, real talk, Chaz. Uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, man. Oh, thank you, guys. I appreciate the pain that you went through to to satisfy me. Oh yeah, it, it was it was all right. So it, it was for our listeners, really. That's <laughs> right. We did it for our listeners. Our, our listeners, they're the real stars. Uh, <laughs> So for myself, Chaz, and Julio, that's going to do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Sorry, guys. One second. Yeah, no worries. I collected lots of glass today. Uh, very good. Oh, okay. okay, well done. I'm just finishing work, and then I'll come down and talk to you about it. Okay. Oh, well, you got to be very quiet up here, buddy. If you're gonna stay up here.
All right, sorry. No worries. <laughs> I just love that you refer to us as work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shut I, up. I, what I was going to say is... <laughs> did, did you have step-by-step step in Australia, Chaz? I have no idea what you guys are talking about. What? What? Suzanne Summers and Patrick Duffy? Suzanne Summers no. from Three's Company. She has three kids. Patrick Duffy has three kids. They marry, and now they're one big family. Yeah. I no, they have more than that. the Brady Bunch? No, it's like it was uh, TGI Friday, uh, TGIF, whatever the lineup was on ABC. It was like with Boy Meets World. Do you know what Boy Meets World is? No. Fucking wow. hell, man. This is what it's like talking to We me. had neighbors <laughs> and, you know, home and away, all right? <laughs> Again, we're speaking to a man on the other side of the globe. Things yeah. are different. <laughs> and this is just the fucking chutzpah of America. We're just like, you don't know what this is? What are you, living somewhere else? <laughs> living in some <laughs> shithole country? Aww. <laughs> all right, let's get through this because I'm fucking over this shit. We uh, are close. We are very, very close. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 